listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 129 of the Testudo Times podcast. Even we're allowed to take bye weeks every now and again because at some point, I have to be honest with you, I love Maryland, but it was a nice healthy week not having to think about them all that much. Uh, Thomas, we have a lot to get to. What happens when we take a week off of the show? Everything goes crazy. Yeah, well, even, you know, the bye week, nothing really happened there, but just we're recording this on tuesday started happening (laughs) sunday through tuesday it's been it's been wild it's been bizarre and just when you think you can get away from some of this and clear your mind well you can't do that this is maryland these things never happen and we'll get to all that lamar is also back uh hi lamar uh hey what's up guys did you get a chance to clear your mind during the bye week and then be immediately back to reality on sunday It, it was it was briefly beautiful like i like College Park was the calmest I've seen it since, like, the summer. It was amazing. And then, like, immediately it's just like, oh, everything is happening again. Fun. Yeah, that's that's Maryland sports at this moment. Uh, we'll start by talking about football briefly. We know you aren't thinking much about the Minnesota game, but we are because we haven't talked about it on this show. And I feel <laughs> like we, we do some justice to talk about what was a really good game. And we're not going to go too in-depth into it other than to say that Everything that went wrong against Temple Thomas went right against Minnesota. And you have to give credit to everyone, the coaching staff and all the players for addressing exactly what went wrong and then fixing it. Yeah, it would be nice if you could just do that all the time. And then that was how life We're went. not playing a walk-on freshman quarterback every week, unfortunately. Yeah, although he's kind of like a walk-on plus, like he had his scholarship offers. But, I mean, that's a whole other story. That That's still a true freshman quarterback in his first road game. Uh, was very clearly a true freshman quarterback in his first row game, walk on or not. But, yeah, Maryland looked great. Maryland really just did everything well except penalties, really. Um, they they ran the ball. They were able to throw the ball when they needed to. They, they got turnovers. They stopped Minnesota on third downs. They converted their own third downs. List goes on, list goes on. So... Yeah, just a, about an absolute perfect performance compared to Temple. And well, so it really leaves us... Compared to Temple, let's be honest. But it's kind of jarring. Yeah, and so it leaves us really with with such... You know, obviously the true level of this team is somewhere in the middle between what they look like against Temple and what they look like against Minnesota. Because those two those two performances could not be further apart. It's kind of weird, Lamar, that it happened so starkly different from a week. Like the, all the reporting coming out about the Temple game was they didn't take it seriously, and you kind of could tell they didn't take it seriously. And then they immediately went back into focus mode, and they just kicked the snot out of a team. Well, let's be honest. It's not very good, but it's a team that Maryland has to beat if they want to get to a bowl game, which is their goal. And they destroyed them. It was not a contest. Last year, I mean, Maryland with a third-string quarterback on the road beat a similar version of Minnesota, not entirely different. And this year, it was – it's just so jarring. And, I, and people were asking me about that, like, where did the Temple game come from? And I said, I can't tell you. I have no idea where it came from. And I think that's what a lot of people watching that game probably asked. Like, where was this last week? Yeah, well, the, 
the good thing is if they had, if well, if there can be a good thing to come out of that Temple loss, is if they did overlook Temple for Minnesota, at least they won the Minnesota game. It would be embarrassing to overlook them and then lose that game, but very dominating performance. It was good to see, good to especially after the uh, anything looks good after Temple, but like that's an encouraging sign. Well, I guess it's a good thing that they're now not going to overlook anybody going forward. I mean, they play a couple of really bad teams uh, the rest of the season, Rutgers, and you can't overlook them. It's proven that you now, Maryland will never overlook anybody going forward. Uh, if there are any individual performances, I think, Thomas, the biggest one was Anthony McFarlane, who was just absolutely insanely dominant. And though Maryland now does not have Lorenzo Harrison and still does not have Jake Funk, they still have four other running backs that are really good. And then there's this redshirt freshman who is one of the highest-rated recruits Maryland's gotten in what, a decade? And he's been the best player for Maryland the last two games. Who would have ever figured? Yeah, McFarland stood out. Um, Trey Watson obviously stood out with – he had an interception. I think he had 11 total tackles after having 15 the week before. Uh, he was really the defensive standout to me, and obviously McFarland. Ty Johnson had the 81-yard run. That's a career long, which – it almost feels weird to say that that's – it feels like he would have had one longer, although it's just so hard to do that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone who needed to play well played well. And, you know, even Kasim Hill did a very solid job of managing that game. He didn't throw a lot because Maryland didn't need him to throw a lot. He didn't throw a pass in the fourth quarter. Um I think kind of reminded me of the Bowling Green game in the, the fourth half. quarter. Would you have ever thought that? <laughs> they just said, okay, you can't stop us, so we're just going to run it until you keel over, basically. Yeah, I mean, and... Not expecting that. When you're able to do that, obviously, that's just kind of what you do. Well, it's also because I don't think Kasim Hill's been quite as good as we suspected he'd be. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, Lamar, I think, briefly, on just the whole defense... Uh, we're kind of underselling how good they've been in the first four games of the season. The Temple thing is an anomaly because their offense was so bad that no defense is going to be able to hold up against that. And some of those touchdowns weren't their fault. Uh, the defense has actually been really good in the first four games of the year. And I think that's evidenced not just by the fact that they blew out two teams that they should have blown out, but even against Texas. And Texas has proven to be, again, much better football team than they always are against Maryland. They've proven that they can make the plays when they have to make them and keep Maryland in games for arguably longer than they should. And that's going to be really nice to have, especially compared to last year's defense, which was terrible, and this year's, which is a lot better. It's going to keep them in games against much better teams when the offense is going to have its probable struggles. But, yeah, and Coach Canada brought it up today. The defense has really excelled at getting off the field on third down, and that's really where – games are won and lost like whether or not you can give your team another shot on the other end of the uh field and as long as maryland has continued to excel in that respect and continues to excel in that respect just they're going to be a force to be reckoned with on that side of the ball it's not even just trey watson it's a bit everybody's better than they were last year i mean having an actual pass rush back helps but the defense, I think, is getting undersold and how good it has been. Uh, quickly, one last thing on that Minnesota game. We're not going to harp too much more on it because it happened nine days ago, or ten days ago now, actually. Thomas, in terms of Kasim Hill, he definitely improved from the Temple game. It would be hard not to. He hasn't really been that sensational. He hasn't had to be in many of the games that Maryland's won because they've run the ball so well. 
but it was good to see him bounce back, obviously, because when Maryland plays games where they're going to be more competitive, he's going to have to make throws to win Maryland games and to make those plays. And it was nice to see him make the one play to D.J. Turner that's going to stand out. It's probably his best play of the year. Uh, he's going to have to do a lot more of that if Maryland's going to be competitive against better teams starting this week. Yeah, agreed. Kasim was obviously just horrendous against Temple, but really, you know, he, he bounced back. He's a guy who I wrote about this during the Temple game or b- during the week of the Temple game and definitely kind of jinxed him or something. Um, he's a guy who just doesn't get rattled by a lot. And he doesn't let himself get too high or too low. And I think that's that 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 really shines when you you have a bad game and you don't dwell on it and you're able to just keep chugging ahead as if, you know, nothing had happened. And it it really seemed like nothing had happened. And that was the entirety of the team. And that's Matt Canada, too. And actually, the last thing we'll say on this game, Lamar, is I've raved about Matt Canada's coaching for the first four games of the season, and rightly so. He's done a lot with a situation that is absolutely not tenable. And the fact that he got a team that played so badly against a not very good team and then bounced back one by 29 the following week in their conference opener shows that this guy can coach. And we knew he could run an offense. Now we know he could run a proper team. And whatever the next future couple of games are, whatever the rest of the future is for this Maryland team, he's proven that he can coach at a pretty high level. And this was just another confirmation of that, this game. Well, yes. And also there is still that caveat. He also, he like constantly stresses the fact that he's just doing his job as office coordinator and interim coach, head coach tag will definitely lead someone to take a shot on him if it's not Maryland. And, he, this is a good stretch to have on his resume, uh, but I'd be interested to know to find out like just how much uh, he's doing in terms of like the entire program and like the effect there. Well, he did say that he had going to take a little bit more responsibility after what happened with Temple, and if that's what happened, well, it clearly worked because they won by 29 over a conference opponent. Uh, Thomas, you want to talk about Michigan or what's been going on in the not football related department of the football program first? We'll talk about Michigan for a moment. Okay. Uh, Michigan, to- Michigan is almost underrated right now. Michigan is I would uh, say underappreciated, 15- perhaps. Maybe more than I would underrated. say so. They're they're fifteenth in the AP poll. They they lost their first game at Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is still undefeated right now. Michigan in S&P Plus is like the number seven team in the country. And that is something you really can't ignore. And they're playing at home and they've started to hit their stride. I mean, they they clearly struggled for a lot of the game against Northwestern. But even with kind of their C game, we're able to pull out the win. And I'd be surprised if they had their C game again. Well, I want to make a couple of points here. The first of which is, this is a comparison of Maryland and Northwestern now. Is Maryland better than Northwestern? I would say probably yes, but that's up to interpretation. I would also say that Michigan, three of their wins are against SMU, Western Michigan, and Nebraska. Not exactly standards of quality. I would also say that we haven't seen Michigan, and to be fair, Maryland, 
play a team like they're going to be playing. Michigan hasn't played a team that's clearly better than the teams that they've beaten, but not nearly as good as Notre Dame. And Maryland hasn't played a team as good as Michigan, if you count Texas. And they have one horrible loss on the resume, and the two other teams they should have beaten, they destroyed. So in many ways, it's kind of new for both of these teams. We don't know how they're going to do. We expect Michigan to win because they're Michigan. Uh, and I can remember a couple of instances in Maryland's recent history in which they've gone into road games like this against big teams that are not looking their best, and Maryland gets destroyed. So I'm not exactly going in with a lot of optimism that Maryland's going to win. But that being said, our friend Alex Kirster said Maryland is right to go in and win there, and he knows more about college football than I do. I don't think that's going to happen, Thomas, but when you look at what Michigan just did and what Maryland just did and the fact that they've had two weeks to prepare for this game and they always play their best when everyone seems to doubt them and there's all that's swirling around the program, which is happening again, don't you think this sets up for Maryland being really competitive in this game, which is, again, a much bigger improvement compared to the last three games against Michigan where they weren't competitive in the slightest? I guess. I think... Any sort of optimism is mostly just about Maryland being a better team. This is, it's on the road. It's you know a national environment. Maryland, the last time they went into Ann Arbor, lost 59-3. to This is not as bad of a team. And honestly, that Michigan team was, you know, I, th- I think a top five, top ten team as well. So Yeah, they were know, the t- one that third of, when they played Ohio State. So, yeah, that yep. Michigan team you could argue is better than this one. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, Maryland is a lot more talented across the board than it was then. And so, obviously, it would be almost impossible to not trim a 56-point gap, but I don't expect well, them to year, get 18? something like that. It wasn't a huge blowout because Michigan stopped trying after a while, but Maryland was clearly overmatched. I mean, it felt it, for whatever the margin was, it felt like it was double that, uh, all the case may be. But, I mean, Lamar, how could you, when you look at the way that Maryland's been playing and you see Michigan struggle mightily against a Northwestern team that isn't great, and you think, well, wait, can't Maryland do one better, even if they're on the road? I mean, that's the logic that we see. And certainly some people are saying that. But as I said, four years ago against Ohio State, I thought Maryland had a chance to beat them, and they had a 50 spot hung on them. Two years ago, I thought Maryland was going to be really competitive against Penn State, and that was the beginning of their meteoric rise. So, again, it's kind of we're trapped in the middle of expectations and hope in a way. Like, I expect Maryland to get blown out in many ways, but then there's this nagging hope that says that's not going to happen again. And how do we, how do we juxtapose those two things? Yeah, for me at this point, it's a show and prove factor with Maryland against these teams. It's, yeah, you can keep telling us that you're a better team. You can keep showing it against lesser opponents. But at some point, you have to step up and not get ran out of the stadium. And this is definitely an opportunity for Maryland to show that, all right, we're getting – we're like him trying to hit the next rung on the Big Ten ladder and, like, another step towards competing in the Big Ten East. But for me, I – think the only way to really like handle those two realities and like handle like the hopes versus like where Maryland may actually be is to just like wait and see what they do. So Thomas, let's talk about a scenario in which Maryland actually wins. It is not a scenario I think is a likely scenario, but it is one that is possibly legitimate 
because there is a world in which Maryland has already beaten a team that's at Michigan's level, Texas. Different circumstances, obviously. But they've proven when they're at their best, they can hang with some really good football teams. So in the scenario in which Maryland pulls off a stunning upset and destroys everything that Maryland football has been for the better from the last, like, three, four years, what has to happen? Well, it starts with running the ball, and that that's the first obstacle because – Michigan's real strength, like its strongest strength, is stopping the run. So if you can take that over, and Minnesota had, you know, a strong run defense according to a lot of the metrics um, against weak competition, and you know even that was opponent adjusted, and Maryland still really took it to them. Michigan is bigger, stronger, and faster on defense. And so that won't be as easy. But if Maryland wins this game, they'll have to do that. Kasim Hill will have to manage the game just like he did and probably make a lot more plays by himself. And the defense will have to create turnovers, limit explosive plays, get off the field on third down. Like all the all the little things you need to do in order to win a football game and all the things that Maryland did right against Minnesota. And honestly, it's so hard to do Texas all of those too. things. It's so hard to do all of those things right. Maryland didn't even run the ball that well against Texas. But the defense kind of helped them and bailed them out in a way. Yeah, I mean, they got, I believe, three turnovers on three possessions late in the game. And Maryland against Minnesota got some turnovers late. We've seen what happens when Michigan, they, they're not exactly running an exotic offense with a Heisman contender at the helm. This isn't Alabama with Tua or Kyler Murray or any one of the great offenses in college football. It's a solid offense, but we saw it get bogged down against Notre Dame for Michigan. And against Northwestern, they didn't play well until the very end. They've got playmakers. they got a good running back. But Lamar, kind of coming in thinking Maryland's defense has a better chance to be successful in this game than their offense does, which is weird. Yeah. If Maryland's defense continues to play the way it has to the first – First four weeks, they have a chance for a really big game, and like they have a chance to keep Maryland in it, despite how uh, they perform on the other side of the ball. However, uh, the only question is whether it's a situation where they bend, don't break all night, and then something uh, springs loose, or whether they can get some help on the other end of the ball as well. I think that they'll have the chance to make plays. They've got playmakers. You need your playmakers to make plays. And right now, I guess Anthony McFarlane and Ty Johnson are your two biggest playmakers. So if they can make plays and they can get one of the receivers to make a play or two, and they've got a chance. I saw the line today was something like 17 and a half, which considering everything that's happened for the two teams seems a tiny bit high. But I'm going into this as I've gone to the last two Texas games, stay within the spread. Maryland covers, then they've probably had a decent day. Is that what you're going in with that mindset, Thomas? I think a reasonably decent result would be keeping it in single digits or within one possession. And then maybe Michigan will add on a score late. 17 and a half is, you know, I would expect them to cover, but they could very easily just fall apart and not do that. Um, we'll see. I think... I would agree. I, personally, I would have the spread a little thinner. I thought the spread was going to be more like two touchdowns other than 17. I think it's because no one thinks Maryland's any good. and Reasonable. They lost to Temple. Uh, Lamar, what's the best day out for Maryland, obviously, assuming they don't win? 
best day is Maryland looks like a team that's competitive. They look like a team that has a chance to win, and they keep it within two scores. Sounds reasonable. That would be the best that Maryland's looked against Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State in the last four years, which, you know what, we'll take it. This is a, this is a, uh, a play with house money game. It's a game in which if Maryland wins it, holy crap, and if they lose it, they weren't expecting to win it anyway. It was one of the three that we came in expecting Maryland to have no chance in. This is not where their bread's buttered to make a bowl game. Their bread's being buttered by beating Rutgers only and the like. So now we have to talk about the ancillary stuff with Maryland football, which never really goes away. We'll first go to a week ago Friday with the Walters report being released. We did not get a chance to talk about it being released on the last show. We should talk about it now. Uh, there isn't really anything surprising with the Walters report. Thomas, I'd say we knew 90% of what was in it. And I guess here we could talk about the 10% that wasn't already publicly known. But even then, I don't think it really changes what the perception of the Jordan McNair incident itself was. I think everybody kind of knew what it was. And the Walters report basically just fleshed that out even more. Yeah, I think one of the main things that was sort of unclear in reporting is Durkin's role in um, just the workout. Because everyone... Like, it was previously stated that he was there. Like, the school came out and said that already. But at a practice like that, he's not in charge. And so it's – he did not intervene in the medical treatment of McNair, which is the right thing to do as the head coach. Like, that's not your area of expertise. There are people whose job that is. So that's – like, it seemed like he didn't – necessarily do anything wrong on that day as far as the rest of the trainers i mean the big big surprise to me was there was a stated reason for why they did not put him in cold water immersion and that's because they i guess thought he was too big and they couldn't get him in the tub and they thought he might drown in the tub i'm still like i still don't entirely understand that uh, that is one of those explanations you come up with when you have to come up with something and then you justify it in your head. It doesn't seem like a justifiable explanation for people who should have proper medical training. Yeah, and so they, they treated him with cold towels, which is the second best thing. But the first best thing, if you do that, he will live. If they did that, Jordan McNair would be alive today. So I think that's you know the, the simplest way to put it and – you know, I think a lot of us kind of had that sense that, you know, that's where the fault lay for that. Um, like, there hasn't been as much mystery with this, but then there's the, the second part of this whole larger fallout that, um, you know, came back to bite us on Sunday. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Lamar, is there anything else from the Walters report that you wanted to mention? I, the only thing I'm going to say about it is I found it surprising that some people were saying DJ Durkin survives to live another day after that when the Walters report was released. And I said that was never going to be what indicted him. He was not suspended after what happened with Jordan McNair. It's after everything else that was released, uh, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, did you have anything on the Walters report that you wanted to make mention of specifically? Yeah, the... Yeah, I agree. The Durkin, Durkin was never really in trouble from this report. Like, the only thing that would have been surprising is if this report had said he was in contact with McNair, like, around the time of the workout. But in terms of the report, I'm still interested with how many students they talked to, because I saw somewhere it said four. I don't know if that got, if that was, like, a misunderstanding or something. It's just, 
you got to be as clear as possible when we're talking about the consequences of somebody's life. I guess that's one part of it, but I, I guess that it's hard to get into the particulars with that and the semantics of the Walters report or something that we could debate forever. But that portion of what's been going on with Maryland football, I think, is now pretty much over except for lawsuits, and that's another kettle of fish entirely that we'll take care of when the time needs to be taken care of. The real reason why DJ Durkin is still on leave is because of the toxic football culture report, which, after it was released by ESPN, we hadn't heard much about anything like that since then, until Sunday, that is, when the Washington Post came out with something, Thomas, that was, well, I'll let you explain what it was first and talk about it before we get into our thoughts about it. Yeah, it was another, another explosive report with more on-the-record accounts. There were a lot of anonymous sources in the ESPN account. Not that it necessarily makes... Um, it doesn't automatically make these stories more true. Um, or the fact that it's mostly former players quoted in this. But it is. it does put sort of more of a, a human face on the, the sort of victim side of all this. And the Washington Post story, I thought, did a good job of pointing out that there was, there is a gray area here. A lot of players and a lot of players' parents and clearly a lot of boosters still support Durkin. And they think he's a good guy. He's a, you know, fiery, hyper-competitive coach. But that doesn't, it, it, he doesn't rub them the wrong way. He, he clearly rubs some people the wrong way. So that is, but the, it's really no debating in that story that these things happened, that he did do a lot of these things that are sort of being alleged that he did. I think there's enough evidence now that we can say for sure that, the, that a lot of questionable stuff happened. Now, from there, I think the, proper debate is what's over the line and what's not and everyone you talk to is going to have a different answer so this is the thing we unpacked when we did that whole story uh on that podcast where we talked about this and it said the line is blurred what is toxic what is over the line it depends on the eye of the beholder clearly dj durkin and company did not think what they were doing were toxic but a lot of players and their families certainly did what do i think doesn't really matter what I think. I don't have much say in this. I can only cover it. And what we think is, again, completely incidental to what really matters, which is what the boosters think and what the people who are investigating this think. And I think, Lamar, what this story does is reinforces what we already knew. This stuff definitely happened. I never doubted that it happened. I don't think that, you know, people saying this anonymously is going to uh, doubt the veracity of what was being reported. That's journalism, and that's how journalism in these kinds of stories often works. But it, what this does is it reinforces it happened. The real debate here is whether you think this is a fireable offense or not. And that is in the eye of the beholder, and that story from the Washington Post did a much better job of the ESPN report, I'll say, after having read it and gone through it a couple of times, of portraying this as a case where there is a lot of gray area and the gray area is where this is going to be decided and makes it not black or white like so many of these other things that we've seen in college football scandals. Yeah, there's definitely a gray area here, and uh, the Post article really did a good job at 
yeah, like you said, showing both sides of that and showing like people's lines fall in different places. Uh, the question here is also whether, like, just how much did Durkin know Court was doing? Um, because at the end of the day, the buck stops with him, and if he empowered Court, like, he empowered Court as his right-hand man, so everything that, like, Court did reflects on him. And the more you find out that, like, Durkin you know what Court did, I feel like that line moves a little bit again. But there's just some of the anecdotes in the post story that are still just, like, rough to read, especially the one with the player in the strength training program that the post alleged, like, they poured Rice Krispies on. That was just messed up. It's, again, a matter of what do you think is wrong and what's over the line. I think everybody will tell you the Rice Krispies bit's over the line. It's a little bit too yeah. much. But some of the other stuff, again, it's in a gray area. And some players don't mind that. They're okay with it. And others don't. And I hate saying this. But I have to, Thomas. And we have to say it as people who are observing the story. Certain kinds of people are saying this is bad. Certain kinds of people are saying that what DJ Durkin did isn't necessarily over the line. That line has to be delineated because there is a trend of who is saying these things, right? I mean, we have to say it. Players that didn't cut it under DJ Durkin in the first year are obviously saying that. And they, of course, everyone has an agenda. You can't come into these situations without having agendas. And players who have dealt with it better are going to be able to say that this doesn't bother them as much. And that's an important detail I think we have to say here. And what makes, again, the gray area that this story lies in so hard to parse out. Yeah, I would I would say it's fine and reasonable to take any of these allegations with maybe a grain of salt because a lot of the time the people who levy them do have something to gain from them or they have a motive or a grudge sometimes. It, it is fine to take them with a grain of salt, but what a lot of the people sort of on the extreme bring Durkin back, he's a good man, side they are just dismissive and to dismiss these allegations coming from real people is insensitive and dumb and i think that's the important line that that as observers and people consuming all these things we we just have to understand is that sure people may have reasons for saying things but that does not mean the things that they're saying happened didn't happen. I would absolutely agree with you. I think, well, what's the story in journalism? you got to get two sources before you put something on the record. And now you've got two stories from ESPN and the Washington Post, very reputable, with good reporters behind them doing the proper legwork of the reporting. You can now say pretty definitively this stuff happened. I don't think there's any doubt that this happened. It then comes up to do you think it's okay or not to do this? If you thought before this story was released that this is football and this is what happens in football and you don't think this is that bad, then you aren't going to change your opinion after reading this story, right? But if you thought that this was over the line and ridiculous before, you're going to think it's over the line and ridiculous now. It's only going to serve to further entrench what people already think, Thomas, as opposed to changing their views. That's my biggest takeaway from this story. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going to have to happen for really anyone to change their mind at this point. 
It would have you to know? be something really salacious and damning. And none of what we have seen in this reporting would go to... I mean, the Rice Krispies thing is really stupid, but it isn't actively... I'm trying to find the right words here because I don't want to sound insensitive. But Egregious. the Rice Krispies story is kind of like as far as it's gone. And even to a point, it's like, well, that's really stupid and dumb and I never do that. But that didn't actively harm anybody or hurt anybody, you know, physically. Which is where, like, mental harm is something that is such a gray area, it's hard to really diagnose. And maybe with certain players, in a morbid way, they like that kind of stuff. We don't know about that from those specific anecdotes. But when you go on now, I think it's now, like, what kind of story would have to be really damning to get more people onto the side of this is heinous and harmful? It would have to be something worse than the worst that we've already seen reported. And to me, that's kind of the Rice Krispies thing. To me, I would think... Maybe the most important part of this is just what percentage of the players actually feel this is over the line. And I guess going beyond that, it would probably just, you'd have to take into account, you know, current and former players. Because obviously a lot of the former players, there's a reason they are not at Maryland anymore. And so, and then, then there's another line that was like, how many people can think it's not okay to make it okay. very much not okay. I don't know. And that's why this story is hard to parse out and why the decision that they're going to make is a really difficult one. And Lamar, I stood on the podcast and said the first time, I don't think DJ Durkin can be brought back because of the PR and a lot of the anger that we saw. I saw it on my Twitter feed. I saw it from people I respect who really like this school and have been doing this longer than we have. Uh, <laughs> and then I saw people who were not okay with it, but we're more willing to defend it. I think in the culture we live in today, a lot of what is done and has been done in football is probably not acceptable anymore to us. To people in football, who knows? And again, I don't think what happened with the Washington Post story being released changed any of that. It makes the decision more complicated for those who ultimately have to make the decision. And the fact that it still hasn't been made yet and that investigation still hasn't closed lets you know that this is a very hard decision and there is going to be fallout either way and they aren't yet prepared to make a decision either way. And that's fine. You'd rather them take all the time they need to to make a decision. And this story kind of elucidates how hard that decision is. Yeah, before the second story, I was kind of, I kind of thought they were going to try to find a way to bring Durkin back. I still don't think they do. And like... I, especially with this newest one, personally, I don't think I'd like he, he should be brought back or like he will be brought back. However, recently the Diamondback just ran a story with all the statements from the boosters who are still in love with them with Durkin because they're like the I didn't see it, so it can't be true. He's a good man defense, it's still like prevalent to them and at the end of the day there are a lot of people with like the money so it's going to be interesting to see what decision is made and here's what i'll say to those boosters just because you didn't see it doesn't mean it didn't happen it's clear that it happened and that should not be a debate the debate is on whether it's over the line or not and whether the boosters think it's over the line that's a matter of interpretation i don't want the defense of dj durkin to be we didn't see it so it didn't happen that's a horrible defense and if boosters think that they're wrong i'll come out and say that now the defense being, we don't necessarily think that's over the line, and some of the information that we have says some of this was 
guzzied up for effect or some of these things didn't happen in the way that they have been reported, that's different. And that's where the line is drawn. And we don't really know where the line is going to be drawn, Thomas, because there was some reporting that said that this decision or the investigation would have been concluded pretty recently. But it's still ongoing. And I have a feeling it's going to be ongoing for a while. And the release of this story just kind of complicates matters a little bit in that way. Yeah, I would venture that it's probably still pretty close. I don't think the stuff that's out here really changes much. Um, but if it was reportedly going to be complete on September 30th, which is kind of the date that's been floated out there, even then, that's still something the Board of Regents has to meet. And the Board of Regents had like a more spontaneous meeting Monday, but nothing happened regarding this. It was about like building naming or something. Their next regularly scheduled meeting, I believe, is the 15th. So I don't know. I'd be I would be surprised if it if they wait until the 15th just because that's when they're supposed to meet. But but we'll see. It it it's dragged on long enough. I think at this point, you really want to make sure you get it right. That's the important thing. And a decision like that you really can't make in haste and at the very least they haven't rushed to a conclusion. I appreciate that they haven't done that and that's the best thing I can say about how Maryland has dealt with this since it all went down and we could talk about how poorly they effed it up before that but since then they have investigated and they've let this thing breathe and they've let it go the course it needs to go without rushing it and not many other places can say that they did that. So that is now coming out and that is something that is obviously developing we haven't heard much after that other than the story was released and it was what it was. And now it's not faded into the rear view, but it's not as much of a, you know, a pressing matter of concern as I thought it necessarily would be when Sunday when I saw that. I mean, it's basically going to serve to reinforce opinions. And that's where we stand. And I don't know what that means when it comes to DJ Durkin's job status. But the longer this goes on the more you have to think that the odds of him staying are getting less and less. That's just my guess from where I'm sitting. I, I don't know whether it's a place that most other people sit, but we will see how it goes on from there. Obviously, this isn't the last we're hearing of this, and there's going to be more to come. We thought basketball was going to be the escape from the scandal. Well, no, not, not now. It's been a year since that college basketball mess blew up and now thomas maryland was already drawn into it with diamond stone and has been drawn into it again with the allegation in court that under armor wanted to pay 20 grand to get silvio D'Souza, who is now at kansas to come to maryland and yeah i was hoping to get away from scandals like this for a while and uh, how about all this lighthearted stuff yeah uh, look at I this mean, i know right it's oh, just about federal trials Traditional college football, uh, college sports scandals. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, everyone's still alive. Oh, um, oh Jesus. <laughs> that's that's but, where we've gone, folks. That's where we've gone now in our mental state. So, in seriousness, I mean, Maryland was, was subpoenaed twice, sort of. Maryland's been tangentially related to all this. It hasn't really been in the thick of it. Um, you know, there was the, the agent, Andy Miller, who had reportedly his agency had been paying a lot of players um, trying to get them to sign with that agency. Diamondstone was one of those players. No idea whether or not Maryland knew about that. That's, but, it, but it was a Maryland player. And then Silvio De Sosa, um, it was, it was that sort of thing again, that 
you know, his his recruitment was kind of in question. He was very he was reportedly a very heavy Maryland lean before Kansas kind of swooped in. And so a lot of people thought that, you know, Kansas was was paying him. And allegedly Kansas did pay him, but that's because Under Armour was trying to pay him to go to Maryland. And so this is this is in the opening statement of uh, the defense attorney and the the defense for this Adidas executive is mostly trying they're trying to paint a picture that everyone does this and he's just the one who got caught and so you know we might hear more allegations that may or may not involve Maryland and even if this is true that very much does you know it doesn't mean Maryland was complicit necessarily and so there's a long way to go before any sanctions come from this but it again it's just never great to have your name come up in something like this it's unfortunate but i do remember saying that this time last year when this story came out that i wouldn't be surprised if under armor was doing stuff like this because it's the world that college basketball is in and again Mark, they, they've said, Maryland and Mark Turgeon have said that they've complied with all these investigations. You hope that's actually true, and they haven't swept it under the rug. We have no idea. You would think now they're going to be a little bit more astute when it comes to dealing with things like this because of what's been going on with football, but we have no idea. And I'm pretty sure that a lot more is going to come out about this in the future, and I'm pretty sure this is not the end for Under Armour in Maryland. Whatever the case may be, that also happened, and... God, there's a, this is just a – Lamar, it's a mess. It's just not fun to have to go from football scandal to basketball scandal. Welcome to the dysfunctional Viper Pit. Yeah, yeah. Lordy, Lordy, <laughs> help us all. Yeah, it's not great. It's not terrible so far. There's no evidence that's been introduced to back up any of these statements. And like Thomas said, none of this so far has alleged that, like, Maryland was aware or, like, Work to help. They previously comply fully with the both subpoenas and didn't even have to show up in court. So it's going to be interesting to see what gets introduced in this trial. Uh, Brian, uh, Brian Bowen's dad's going to testify. This is going to get fun. I mean, just from courtroom drama, it's going to be really entertaining. You hope Maryland's not involved in it. But I don't think Brian Bowen was ever really interested in Maryland or Under Armour was interested in Brian Bowen. Whatever the case may be, there's, there's a lot more that's going to come out, and we're pretty sure this is not the end. And, hey, college basketball media days in less than two weeks. Who would have thunk it? It's already October. Uh, Thomas, let's go on to scores that don't have scandals. Uh, let's talk. Yeah. About, actually, let's talk about things that are really good. You did a mother profile on field hockey. I know that's a running joke on this show because I always forget to talk about them, and I shouldn't. Uh, they're, they're just really good. And maybe we should just be a field hockey podcast from now on because they have no scandals and they win all the time. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, it, this is uh, – I, I was surprised by Sunday. Maryland, you know, was 11-0 and coming in, number three team in the country. But at the defending champion who beat Maryland in the title game last year, just really eviscerated Connecticut. Maryland went up 4 nothing, 1-4-2. Um just completely dominated that that game and you know now they're they're there were three undefeated teams entering this past weekend and it's not like the core group of real national favorites has changed it's still maryland north carolina and yukon but 
Maryland absolutely 100% belongs in that. And this is something that we're even more sure of now because of that result. Yeah, it's, it's nice to watch Maryland go up against a top-ranked team and destroy them. That doesn't happen too often. I wish it. No, you got to watch. You got to pay the ten dollars to watch these games if you want to do it on BTN Plus, right? This was on Husky Vision. Oh, this was because on it was Husky at UConn. Vision because it was at UConn. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't even involved with the American. Oh, so BTN Plus is at least a better umbrella to pay for this sort of thing when the games are at Maryland. Unless if you're on campus, then it's free. So for students, it's free. And if you're on the Maryland campus, it's free. But anywhere else, it costs you money. That's unfortunate. Now, hey, sports streaming services, everybody, get used to it because they all think that you're going to pay the money for this stuff when we know you actually aren't and you just want the most for the least amount of money. Uh, Other sports, uh, soccer, not going so well at the moment, Thomas. Not great. It's better. It's better, sir. Well, it's better than it was, but I mean. It won four of five. They won four or five and beat number 18 Coastal Carolina on the road. There you go. That's better. That's fantastic. Good. I like that. Yeah. So that's going well. And they will probably. I believe their next game is against Michigan State, who is number five. I think Maryland will probably get in the tournament on the strength that they're Maryland because that's just what happens. And also, Maryland's also now playing like a tournament team since the, since the slow start. This is this is true, but I also think that, of course, last year Maryland had a really rough end of the season and still made it to the tournament and got seeded, I think. And that's probably because I think the committee doesn't want to deal with Sasho. Well, I wouldn't want to deal with Sasho when he's angry. Uh, anyway, I'm just happy they're winning. I like that team a lot, as, as I have made very clear on this show. And uh, the women aren't doing all that poorly as well, I think. A lot of scoreless draws. I, uh, I watched one of their games where it was a scoreless draw through 90 minutes. If college soccer had proper rules, they'd be playing a lot of scoreless draws. Yeah, they played uh, Wisconsin to a scoreless draw, which is like actually a good result because Wisconsin, I think, is the top 20, 25 team, and it was on the road. So like a real commendable uh, scoreless draw effort there. You don't know how and many then, times I've said that as a soccer observer and watcher of, hey, go on the road, take the life out of a game, get a scoreless draw, and go home. And then volleyball. Like, close fifth set volleyball is about as intense as, like, sports gets almost. There's well, there's I not much like thing. it. Overtime hockey in the playoffs is more intense. Yes. That's about it. And, and, and penalty shootouts in very high-end soccer tournaments is also really dramatic. But 10's fifth set volleyball is crazy because you because how quickly the points can end and you have to win by two, which also gives you into like the tennis tiebreaker thing. But let's not go into that. Talk about. Yeah. So for that match, Maryland won. This was against Ohio State at home. Maryland last week lost at home to Purdue, won the first set and got lost the last three against Ohio State, who's a team Maryland kind of needs to beat if they wants to be competitive this year. Ohio State is not ranked. It, it, both both teams received votes in the AP poll, or the the coaches poll. They, they don't do AP polls for volleyball, <laughs> but and so that that was a Maryland won the first two sets, lost the next two, went up big early in the third, went down, and then the last few points were back and forth with the match in the balance. I think Maryland had three set points, and finally eked one out and. That was really the highlight of their season. I mean, they, the one thing they had really struggled in was five set matches. I think they've, they'd lost their first three of those, and this was their first win. Hey, that's good. 
Yes, good things in these other Maryland sports if you look for them. Uh, you don't really have to look that hard, but no. I'm just happy to have something to talk about where Maryland teams are winning or they're not involved in scandals. It's fantastic. It's 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 just a help. And hey, wait a minute. Basketball season starts technically in two weeks with media day. Yeah, and... media day soon enough. There's doing the midnight mile. Yep, I did forget about that. Yeah. So if you want to um, go out to the track at Ludwig. Yeah, I think we're going to have some some interesting sort of coverage from that, so stay tuned. I will be looking forward to that. I will probably not stay up that late. Although, actually, eh, it's in a couple weeks. Maybe I will. Who knows? Baseball playoffs will go on until the end of the night. Lamar, you have anything to say about a Midnight Mile non-rev sports? Anything else about Maryland sports you'd like to say? Uh, the Midnight Mile should be fun, but other than that, no. I think I'm out of Maryland stuff for the time. I'm trying to think if any NFL players, Maryland alums, this week did well. I can't think of anything that totally stood out. J.C. Jackson had an interception. He did, but, I mean, that's the Dolphins just stink. So, you know. I mean, I know there the was Dolphins three were 3-0. Dude, I don't really. <laughs> it, it, they were 3-0, and and then they went to New England and got destroyed. Diggs didn't score any touchdowns, but he had 11 catches on Yeah, he was going to Thursday. He had one crazy catch off a deflection. Yannick Ngakwe is still doing really well, even though he doesn't have sacks, and he told the media in Jacksonville he doesn't really care about that. Mm, that's nice. He got one this weekend. He did get one this weekend, yes. He did, until this weekend, he didn't have a sack. Uh, uh, hopefully, he gets many of Pat Mahomes on Sunday. That would oh, be very, much, be, a, that would be very be much a thing I would like to see happen, for more reasons than one. But whatever the case may be, uh, go into the Michigan game with an open mind. Enjoy the fact that Maryland might actually be competitive for more than a half. That will be fun. And remember, if Maryland gets blown out, could be worse. They could get blown out by Temple. Anyway, that's the show. Hopefully, we won't be taking too many bye weeks after this. Doubt it, because I'm assuming there's going to be a lot more news. Hopefully, less negative and more positive going forward. But until then, of course, we'll toast.